0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Chris Zindros, brings over a decade of management and executive level leadership to the Handel Group as the chief strategy officer and senior executive coach. In her role as an executive coach, she leads diversity and inclusion workshops, culture transformations and high potential training programs across the globe. Hopefully, we'll get back to some of that fun travel soon. And she supports both growing companies and industry conglomerates in designing cultures and structures that lead to increased employee retention, engagement, and profitability. But we're going to get into some real executive coaching and what it's all about. And her roster of individual clients include an international group of serial entrepreneurs, perennial corporate executives, and established individual contributors. From every sector and imaginable, so let's get to it. We're going to unpack her career and what executive coaching is all about. Chris Zindros, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. This is so much fun.
0: We will make it as fun as possible. That's the goal. <laughs> That's so, so
1: far, it's great. Good. Answer. Right. Like,
0: like, and 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 we've we've connected. Uh, we connected a few weeks back, and we got to know each other a little bit and learning about each other's backgrounds. So let's share that with everybody. And as I mentioned on that call, I think there's so much value to understanding someone's career journey and how they got to where they are and how that those experiences in that foundation really have led to where you're at today. So let, let's get into it a little bit um, and talk about your early career. And before you got into executive coaching, your first couple of corporate gigs were related to visual merchandising and management um, at the Ann Inc. And if anybody doesn't know, that's Ann Taylor, Loft, Jones, New York. How would you describe that early career stage Um, and what made it really interesting to you? I mean, how'd you get individual merchandising?
1: Oh, okay. So I'll tell you the story. Okay. Please. That's what so it's all about here. You remember the store G Fox? It was like the precursor to Filene's, i.e., the pre. Okay. Got to it. Like Macy's. Okay. So my mom used to go to G Fox every Sunday. And one day we walked in and somebody was dressing the mannequin. And I was like, Mom. I want to do that. She was like, whatever. Like, you know, she just poo-pooed me. And I really was struck by this person dressing this mannequin. I thought it was so cool. They got to, like, create the outfit. And it was, like, multiple mannequins on this pedestal. And I was blown away by it. And then I saw the movie mannequin. which I was about to
0: get there. Yep. That was my next line of questioning.
1: Yes. But I saw the movie mannequin. I'm like, this is going to be my job. I want to do, like, the windows. Okay. So I was really hooked at an early age. Um, the truth about me is that I'm somebody who has a lot of like, creativity and I'm very, I have a creative side, um, but I also have like a business side to me. So visual merchandising and marketing really have a nice balance of those two things where you can be creative and think big picture and do things with your hands and use color and texture and psychology in a way that like is profound and also drives business. Right. And then there's like the logical component of how you drive a business. So for, from a very early age, I was very much, um, Drawn to doing something creative, but then also figuring out how to create business from it. Uh, and that's how I decided to get into visual merchandising. Um, I interestingly found myself at 18 working for a tiny little mom and pop owned retail chain called B and it was on the East Coast. And if you know what BMOS is, I'd be really surprised. If anybody knows what BMOS is, <laughs> please, please put it
0: anybody, in the
1: chat. please, anybody. <laughs> but uh the person who ran the visual department there saw a lot of potential in me and they offered me a really kick-ass role. And so at 20, I was traveling all around the US, um, up and down the East Coast, opening stores and setting up like you know, the entire visual display for this company. And that's what started my sort of parlay into visual merchandising.
0: Interesting. So being that you were 20 at the time and now we're only three years later from that, um <laughs> what what if, if you think about those early lessons because those early days in people's career, they they don't there's a lot of things they don't know, and there's a lot of things they think they know, but they actually don't. What was one of those really big lessons early on that you maybe learned the hard way?
1: Oh, um
0: no one said this is gonna be easy.
1: It's a good no, it's a good question. So the thing that came up for me when you said that is the first time I had an employee get mad at me. Hmm. And you know, I had always wanted to be the kind of boss that people would want to work with and like. And I really just as in general care about being a good person and having people like me. Like I care about that. And so I thought that as a boss, I would lead with like being people's friends, not too much of a friend, but be a friend, right? Like be somebody people can come talk to. And so it's a difficult balance. Yeah, it's a difficult balance. And what I realized is that when you're a boss, you know, it's really more about getting people to respect you than like you that matters more. And I didn't learn that lesson until later on, but the very first instance I encountered was um, the situation where somebody who was a manager on my team was really mad at me because hmm. I had given them something to do and they felt like I could have done it and they were somewhat jealous. And it was a very immature sort of situation, but it was the first time I got confronted with like, wait, I thought you were my friend too. Like I thought we got each other. And then I realized there's actually a difference. Right. Oh, yeah. Just because you're someone's friend, it doesn't actually take place of being their boss and their leader. So you have to, as a leader, maintain this line that is really important to always maintain and never forget about.
0: It's, it's tough, right? Because you, you somehow, you know, a lot of people now they become friends with their bosses, they become friends with their coworkers, but then it comes down to business, and a lot of folks have a hard time separating the two and it's a fine line yeah. to walk in and, we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, further in detail as we get into the executive coaching but if i'm not mistaken and correct me if I'm wrong here your introduction to the Handel group um, was actually being coached by by someone in their executive leadership program correct
1: yeah exactly Could you walk yeah. us
0: through how that how that happened and how your 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 mind was blown how your eyes were opened into the into the world of executive coaching and and i really want to get to like when that light bulb went off moment sure
1: yeah so i actually found coaching begrudgingly I didn't want to do coaching. Um, There was a point in my career where I was really excelling and I was growing and I had gotten promoted and I inherited a team of people who happened to be all men and all older than me. And if we can go back a few years, like two, longer than that, this did not go very well did not go very well. And I was intimidated. I didn't know how to really lead the men. They were in a division where I hadn't, I didn't have a lot of experience at the time. I really thought I needed to know everything about what what my people do in order to support them, which is not true, but I just didn't know better. And so I confronted this circumstance that should have been a really awesome celebratory time in my career. And instead I was paralyzed by fear and anxiety and also failing. I was actually failing at leading this new team. And my sort of like decision was, I'm going to go quit because I can't do this job. And one of my close colleagues had a coach and she recommended I get a coach to support me. And I was like, who does that? Nobody does that. I don't need to do that. I don't need that. Coach, you know, I always joke my family's Greek, right? So we just eat and drink our problems. Like, I'm not going to go talk to someone, air my dirty laundry. What are you talking about? Uh, And so she really did twist my arm into getting a coach. And finally, I did a little trial and error. I dated a bunch of different coaches. I found Handel Group. And I actually really fell in love with the style in which I was getting coached, the level of um, direct uh, feedback, how humor was used to get me to laugh at myself, and uh, how honest my coach was about her own experience. So I felt like I was working with somebody who wasn't just preaching, but was also doing the walk. And so that's what really got me hooked, and I never thought I was going to become a coach. This was not something I ever thought I would do, but after working with the coach and realizing the type of impact that they make, i, I was drawn to maybe I can do that in my career as well what's so what well,
0: that, so, that's so that's so interesting, too. And there's a couple of things I want to unpack on that one that first and foremost is that moment when you're it's kind of like you're shocked. Like you're experiencing something that you never even thought of in your life. You're like, wait a minute, I could do that. And I might actually enjoy it and have a passion for it, but you were so passionate about visual merchandising. How did you shift? I mean, how'd you even shift from saying, this is something I've had my heart and mind set on since I was a uh, a kid and watching the mannequins get dressed to switching into executive coaching. I mean, how does that, how does that mindset shift happen?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I had, um, been working with a coach for a couple of years before I decided to train to become a coach. So there was like, this was a process.
0: It wasn't thought, overnight. It wasn't like
1: yeah, it wasn't overnight. But what I right. thought would happen when I trained to be a coach is that I would learn a bunch of cool skills that I can use to support me in my career growth in like my real job, as I used to call it. Right. And then I would use <laughs> like my evening hours and my weekends to do what I would consider like pro bono work. Like that's so how I, That's how I looked at it in my my life at the time. But one of the things that became really clear to me is actually visual merchandising slash marketing is not all that different than working with a human, right? Like the same skills apply. Like when I'm working on a brand, it's like, okay, what's the brand mission? What do we want people to say about the brand, feel about the brand? And same thing with an executive. Like what is your, you know, the executive presence that you want? What do you want people to say about you? What's the reputation you want to cultivate? What's thought, thought leadership we need to work on? It's the same type of thinking just directed toward the person versus like the brand, Right. And then when I'm doing culture work, it is also the same kind of work. You know, brand work is the PR outside, right? What people, what your external client thinks about when they think about your brand. And then culture work is the PR inside, what your internal employees think about when they think about working for your company. It's very
0: logical. It's a very logical analogy.
1: Yeah. So it's the same thing. So it didn't, it's not that big of a departure, right? it would make sense that it would feel like a natural leap for me. And ultimately for myself, what happened is, and this is true for anyone who's listening, when, when they're when they feeling like they've accomplished something in their life or they feel like they finally reached the pinnacle of whatever success they wanted to get, is once that happens for us, we get a little bored. And mm-hmm. it's time to start thinking about what's next and reinventing and playing into a bigger game. And I was definitely getting a little bit bored in my career. and I really didn't want to go any further up. Like I was not really interested in being in management for the next that's, 30 years. So,
0: And that's okay. And that's okay. And I think that a lot of people struggle in their career where it's okay. You know, you start something, at, you know, in your 20s. And by the time you get to your early 30s, like maybe I'm just not into it anymore. And it's yeah. okay because, listen, we all have one life. And what's the point of wasting it away? But I want to triple back now. Kind of doing a double rewind here. You mentioned that it was the style and approach. Tell us a little bit about that style that that really resonated with you and said, you know, I, I maybe I had a perception of what coaching might be, but the way that this coach engaged with me, their their style and their approach, it really it really spoke to you. Tell us a little bit more.
1: Yeah. So I did a couple of different um, types of coaching as I was being arm twisted by my friend to go get a coach. Okay. And most of the coaching that I encountered felt very, um, what I wanted to call cubicle. Like it felt very gray, very standard, very in the box. And when I came to Handel group, the thing that really struck me was how, when I met my coach and I said, Hey, I'm here to work on being a better leader. She was like, great, but tell me about the rest of your life. Hmm. So the process was more holistic and because one of the things we believe as a company and we actually all operate from is if you're happy in your whole life, you are the you are the most productive, effective employee that you can be. So there was no stone left unturned. And actually what we saw when I started working with my coach is that the same stuff that was tripping me up at work was also tripping me up in my personal life. Interesting. I was not. I was not a great dater. I was actually in a really bad relationship that I was tolerating and pleasing. Like there were parallels, right? And what we got to work on was my personality traits that were getting in the way of my ultimate happiness, my my, my default, or as we like to call them, negative personality traits that were getting in the way. And that for me was super profound because the minute I can see, oh, I have a trait. So the way we like to define traits in coaching, it's your emotional DNA. So everybody has a um, level of emotion that they experience based on the circumstances. Whether you're sad, happy, disappointed, you know, proud, frustrated, we all experience different emotions. How they present themselves, how they manifest in you is your trait. So the example I like to give to my clients is, you know, when I'm sad, I'm, I look angry. I'm a yeller. Remember, I said my family's Greek, so it's very loud, a lot of swearing. I'm a yeller. I throw things. I scream at people when I'm sad. When my husband's sad, for example, he just is shut down, doesn't say anything, super quiet, introverted. Same emotion, just looks completely different. Right. So my personality trait when I'm sad is like comes off as like aggressive, and his comes off as like depressed, right? So it's important to know these traits because how you come off to people is your reputation. Of course. Right. And so I didn't know I had I was having this impact on my direct reports with the type of traits that I was bleeding from.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because people always talk about like that separation between like your work life and your work personality and your home life and your, your home personality. It's not black and white, in my opinion. Uh, There's a lot of crossover. I think that there's a lot of things that we keep to our personal self, our friends. There's a part of us that we keep inside, but recognizing the fact that we're we're one person and we're not going to really change is, is a, is a breakthrough. And I, and I assume that's part of the coaching process is to understand who we are and how we appear to to the outside world, and and we can get into that in a little bit. But let's let's get into executive coaching here. And I want everyone to kind of understand this. Um, not everybody wants to be coached, and everybody's meant to be coached. How do you assess, Krista, if someone is coachable before we even get into you know what coaching really is? How, how do how do we know? Because like for for you, for example, you were kind of forced into it, where someone said, "Hey, this would be good for you." Like oh, I'm kind of reluctant. Then there's people that come to you um, on their own. And obviously a mix of everything in between. But how do you assess if someone is going to be coachable?
1: Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm getting a client, so say, for example, someone, someone's boss says, hey, you need to go get coached. And I'm getting this client from the boss, right? Like this is the client didn't really have a say. The very first thing I look for is, are you willing to actually participate in the process? If you're not willing to participate in the process, this is like not going to work at all right? And I actually won't go forward with the person if they're not willing. It's sort of like doing a workout video, like putting it, pressing play, and then not doing anything. Like, there's no point <laughs> no in shutting up. You're just wasting your time, right? It's like it's sitting like,
0: on the Peloton and not pedaling because you just want to listen to the music, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> like, this is a waste of everyone's time and, and a waste of your whatever, two $3,000 for your Peloton, right? Like, you just waste this money to sit here. So, it's the first thing I ask. If you're not really willing, then don't bother, right? Um, coaching really is uh, a process that requires your mental like intention and physical effort. Again, you can come to a coaching call and I can give you all these ahas and we can understand something and Mm -hmm. see and see a different perspective. But unless you go actually apply it or act different physically in your real life, it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change. So you have to be really willing to go do those things. And if you're not willing, it's not a fit for you.
0: How do you define executive coach for anyone out there? How would you define it? Because I, I think that there's a lot, and you and I spoke about this, you know, offline. There's a lot of people out there calling themselves a coach, but what really makes somebody a real coach?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is like an executive coach is really somebody that sits on your board of advisors, right? So you want to think about that. All the, the most successful people have coaches of different types, right? I have some clients of multiple coaches, right? Like I'm just one of their executive coaches sometimes. It's like a sports so, team when they have
0: strength and training, mental, they have different coaches.
1: Right. Exactly. To really be on your A-game. Right. And if you think about all that we take on in our day to day lives, like it's important to have somebody to help you reflect, help you see something from a different perspective. So the first thing I like to say is a coach is someone who sits on your board of advisors and the coach doesn't have to be somebody who necessarily knows everything that you know. Right. A lot of times people say, well, I'm an accountant, so I want someone who coaches accountants. I'm like, that's not really necessary because you already know everything about accounting. Like you don't need me to help. you." You know, the
0: subject matter. Yeah. You already are an expert in that area.
1: Exactly. So you need someone who can help show you your blind spots. In fact, that's a better way to get a coach is someone who's not in your sector necessarily, or it's advice. not someone exactly like you, right. or has the same personality or same age. Like that, those kinds of things actually don't benefit you. The point of differences there are make a bigger impact on the type of experience you're gonna have as a coach with the coach, right? Um, but the thing is what's interesting about coaches is that many people have decided that they want to become coaches because they realize they can make an impact on people's lives and they have experience that they want to share all good reasons to become a coach.
0: Right. But does life experience always translate into being a good coach.
1: No, it doesn't. Here's what you need to look for when you're trying to find a coach. You want to find someone who's actually gone through the process themselves. Okay. If you are a coach and you're getting health, a health coach, if your health coach is overweight, do not hire that person.
0: Yeah, you Sounds don't. Want, you don't silly. want me being your nutrition coach. That's a bad right. idea.
1: Sounds silly, but don't hire that person. Right. The only way you can be a very good coach, truly, this is what makes this is what makes coaching actually a very difficult profession to master, is if you're able to walk your own talk. That's the only way, right? Because how, how do you
0: it, prove that? How do you prove that on a, on a, when you're you know interviewing potential clients? Um.
1: So. If someone's interviewing me and they're asking about my own life experience, I really do share, them, share with them how I've gone through reorganizing my own life and fixing my own issues, right? which we all have. And so I do share with them that I failed leading my team way back when. And then I did all this work to go fix it. Like, here's what I did to make it. There's
0: a lot of that. vulnerability there. There's a lot of honesty and self-awareness, which is exactly. key.
1: Yeah. Wow. And you want your coach to be able to share that with you right? They need to have some level of a story or a journey where they've transformed themselves that they're going to teach from. The reason why this is important is because just because you know something doesn't mean you can change it. And most of us know a lot of stuff. And by the way, you don't need to hire a coach for anything you can Google. Like I tell my clients all the time, do not pay me money. So you can ask me how to like be more efficient with your time.
0: Yeah, Start start with YouTube. I'm sure there's millions right. of hours worth of content yes. on there in you. every language possible
1: exactly you can go find everything on google and youtube I, you do not pay me for that right you're nope. hiring someone to help you transform you're hiring someone to hold you accountable to support you to help show you blind spots etc you're not hiring someone to give you tips and tricks do not waste your money that's and you're
0: not and you don't want someone sitting there to pat you on the back that's not what you're paying for it's accountability hold, holding you accountable for change exactly and putting in the work
1: yes exactly and so the only way somebody can really do that I deeply really do that and know how to meet you where you are, is if they go on through the process themselves, right? Or a process similar to yours.
0: It's, it's interesting. Um, I want to talk about, before we get into the process there, I want to talk about some of the myths that are out there. I'd love if you could debunk a couple of the, of the big myths. What are, what are some of these things that people say out there, the people that are naysayers of executive coaching? What do you, what do you hear out there and, and, and how would you respond? And what are some of the big ones?
1: Oh, a lot of times I'll hear like, what's the point of this? Like, I don't really like I'm already successful in my career. What's the point of this? It's like usually the thing. What's I the point? Hear. What's the point? And usually it comes with like, I'm already successful or everything's going fine in my career. Most people think that you want to hire a coach when things are bad. Right. That's when it's you've gone too long. <laughs> it's it's how you
0: get yourself better. It's right. Get-
1: exactly. Yeah. So you actually really want to coach when you're rocking it. So you can continue to like operate at peak performance. It's putting
0: gas on that fire. That's what I always tell people. Exactly. Yes. How do you accelerate? How do you take it to the next level?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So what's the point? In, and usually followed by I'm successful. Why do I need this? The other thing I hear too, is for people who are not like executives, like meaning they don't have fancy letters before their name. They'll also say like, well, I'm not an executive. Why do I need someone? Right? What, they fail to, for, what they fail to keep in mind is that if you are in a company, whether you have fancy letters before your name or not, the truth is that you have a leadership role in that organization. If you're an individual contributor and you're running a function or a process, you are super important. And you know that if you were to leave mm-hmm. and somebody else would come in and do your job, things would get messed up because you actually do make a difference because you own a process or a function right? Despite not having letters in front of your name. So even if you don't think you have the right sort of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, prestige associated, a coach can still be useful for you because even in your role, you still have to manage all the things executives do politics, relationships, management, all of it. It's mindset process.
0: It's process and, and mindset. So let's talk about the process for a little bit and without giving away all your secrets, if people want, they could reach out and 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 pay you for your time. Um, but give us like a very high level overview, a structure of what that looks like from a discovery through working with folks. What is kind of that rough outline of a process to get someone from their initial um, intake and understanding about them to starting to do the work? Yeah. And is there an is there an end date? I mean, listen. We're in the business of consulting. Our whole business is keeping that clock going. Let's be let's be real about it to a certain point, but we also want to see accomplishments and we want to see goals set. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about that process and what it looks like. Yeah. If you don't mind. Not the proprietary secrets of the Handel Group, but.
1: I won't divulge anything, I promise. <laughs> but I will start not with. If you're
0: like, listening, don't worry. We're not going to give away yeah, too many.
1: Things. Exactly. Well, I will start at the, the last question you just said, which is like, as consultants, we're in the game of keeping the business going. It's true. We are right. Like from a business perspective, we do want to going, right. Like, let's be fair. However, what I tell my clients is, is if you constantly need me, I have failed. You shouldn't need me the same way you needed me three years ago or two years ago or during this massive crisis you were going through. Right. We should get to a place where you're thriving and you need me when you need me. Not that you need me all the time. So a good metric you want to go for is seeing your clients lean off of you. And then, by the way, lean off of you will bring you tons of business if we're talking business, the business side of it because you've done such a great job for them, right? And so I really do want to see my clients pays for
0: grow. itself. If it's done well, it pays for itself. It's exactly. an investment. And I said that too when I when I invested in my executive coach. I said I'm not looking at this as a cost. I'm looking at it as an investment. Yeah. And I saw the ROI from that. And if you have that mindset, it's a no brainer.
1: Yes. Exactly. So. um, To your earlier question, the process that someone will go through when they want to come work with a coach, and I'll I'll talk about working with me, is they come to what we call an intro call, and this is where they lay out what their current issues are and what they want to work on. And in in, in that introductory call, what we talk about is sort of like the steps that we would take to help them really get from point A to point B. So this is a super high level, but this is to give the client an overarching idea of what it's going to look like, how much time, the general sort of process, et cetera. If they're interested at that point, then they come to their first session. On the first session, we do a deep dive into all the areas that a client wants to work on. And we tell people that you really need to pick about three to five areas at the very beginning to you start. You can't do
0: everything by. right away. You can't you just attack mind. everything.
1: Exactly. But here's the thing about it. And if you have a coach, you know this. Once you start working on one area, everything else improves. Right? It's like when you start running, you know, you lose weight everywhere. It's not just on your legs, right? Like there's a benefit throughout your whole life. So we address the areas that the client wants to work on. Here's the thing about a good coach. When a client comes to me with a list of areas that they want to work on, what I'm listening for is do I agree and should we start there? Hmm. Oftentimes, I don't agree and we shouldn't start there. This is not that I don't want my clients to have what they want out of the experience, but it's because a client can't always see what's getting in their way. And we usually go towards like the low level fruit.
0: And is that, is that, is that a pattern, a pattern interrupter technique in coaching that I've heard before too? Cause if if someone's coming in there, you know, saying, Hey, Krista, this is what I want to work on. I want this, this, and this, and I want to start with this. They kind of already have preconceived notions and you want to, you want to take a different approach. Is that something worth considering?
1: Yes, for sure. Like you, like you're coming from your own perspective, right? In your own mind, you can only- So much
0: psychology here. Exactly. You're, you're, you're almost a psychologist. I would say if you uh, went down that path academically, you do pretty well. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Uh, okay. So you really do want to get that, like, you're coming from your own perspective and you're hiring a coach to give you a different perspective. Like that's really what we're here for. Right. And then the other thing is that most people think they're going to come to coaching and they're going to see a result right away. Okay. Other big thing. If somebody promises you in 30 days, you're going to be different. They're lying. (laughs) Do not believe them. Okay. The truth is that you can actually cause drastic results in your life rather quickly. And depending on how much effort, as we talked about earlier, physical effort you're going to put in, and then also like mental and like intention, you're going to put in something. You can see drastic results quickly. But for most human beings, there's a process you have to go through.
0: You have to to put in the work
1: tangible results is not possible. And most coaches hook people on by like promising like 10 days, like lose 20 pounds or whatever it might be. And that's not just, it's just not how it works. And if it does happen in that way, you have to really get smart to the fact that it may not be long lasting right? Because anybody can go do like juice diet and lose 10 pounds by Saturday. But can you maintain that lifestyle? Mm. Is the bigger question.
0: Consistency, the mindset, it's a shift.
1: Consistency, exactly. So in in regards to what happens on this first call, what we really set up is like, okay, what do you want to work on? What are the results? And then my job is to listen in for what are you missing? And then not only what are you missing in terms of what you should be working on, it's like the how we want to go work on it. Mm Because most people really care about doing the physical things that are going to produce the result. But in coaching, we really do know and we teach our clients that how you're showing up, how you're being, what we call your emotional and your spiritual integrity. So spiritual having nothing to do with religion, but more about your value systems and your philosophies that you live by and your emotional integrity, which is how you're showing up in the world, those personality traits that you're leading from, making sure that those are operating on all the right cylinders so that you can actually start to shift being who you shift being who you currently are to who you need to be in order to get the results that you want. So that's what we're doing on our first session is assessing where our starting point, the results, and then exactly how do we want to navigate to get. To how do you,
0: how do you, how could you tell, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, I think about 11 years at this point. Yeah. Um, how could you tell if someone is, is being open and honest and, and authentic and how do you as a coach create the right space for that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's not fun being married to me because I can spot people's bullshit really quickly.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm married. To, I'm married to one of those too. My my, <laughs> my 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 wife. My wife is Russian, so they solve their problems through eating and drinking. Also, we oh, we
1: I understand Russian. The people Greeks and
0: the loud. Russians are very similar from a cultural yes, standpoint.
1: Exactly, we're very loud and a little forceful. Uh, so the truth is that a good coach can read through people's bullshit. Um, most human beings. um for everybody listening. We leak out. What we're trying to hide. We use certain words. We say things with a certain inflection. We, you know, our, our body language changes. Subconscious, of course. We have these types of tells, and a good coach who has a very tuned ear, which is what we're trained to do, can spot it. So, what I do when I notice that with a client is I start to ask questions, and I start to really try to pull up mm, like what's probing the issue. We probe until we get to like what we can go deal with, and what people are willing to actually take on. The other piece of it is that sometimes I'll just say to a client, like, if you're not ready to deal with it, it's okay. Let's let's just be honest. You don't want to deal with it. And that frees them up to say, you know what, I don't want to step away from here. And then we can go to we can go deal with something else that I can actually take on.
0: Interesting. All right. So now, now we got the initial intake and we start to do the work. How important is, is giving someone the homework and not just to do the work, but from a commitment standpoint? like to see if they're actually committed to it. Like, do you give a pretty lofty assignment in the beginning to see and test that level of commitment early on? Is that like a common practice? I mean, that's what I've heard is a common practice. Is that what you guys do?
1: Yeah, we definitely do have that like big first assignment to get people's, you know, make be sure like a care, self-discovery, some kind self-discovery. of self-analysis. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, Values. Also really helps, yeah, it also really helps the coach get a quick picture because if you want to go in and start to produce results, because coaches really are um, judged on how fast we can produce something for our client, how quickly we can get them, how fast we can get them to their point B or point C. Mm-hmm. So we need as much information and data up front in order to be able to navigate all that's challenging about a human, right? So that first assignment usually is pretty lofty. Sometimes depending if a client's coming in from an organization like a company where we're already doing a program, it may not be as lofty, but it still is a pretty big assignment. Uh, but here's the thing about homework. I don't give homework just to give it. I don't use it as like a, a test, like do, yeah. do you really want to be here? I think that homework is an important complement to the process and it should be done really as a way to augment your experience. So the homework that I tend to give with my clients is really more actionable homework. And a lot of times that thinking deep dive homework, I'll actually do on my coaching sessions with somebody to really help them go through something through that hard for them to really understand on their own. So we'll, we'll do that together. But usually my homework is like, great, go have that conversation with that person or go and work out or, you know, videotape the fact that you made dinner for your family, whatever. Like I'm giving them actionable things that they can start to implement so that they could really see the bang for their buck.
0: How do you hold them accountable? How do you how do you I mean, listen, if, if someone's lying to you and say they didn't do something, that's on them. Right. If yes. someone's paying, if someone's paying you, I mean, you they're they're paid. They want to do the work. They should do the work. Um, yeah. And then they're just like, I mean, they're just lying to themselves, but what are some of the techniques that you use to ensure accountability? Cause I always tell people, I go, you want to count ca- a coach. that's not going to pat you on the back. You want someone that's going to hold you accountable. And you want someone who's going to see everything from that 30,000 foot view, as you said before, who doesn't have the blinders on, but how do you hold people accountable? Annoy them. Huh. That's, <laughs> so that's my I technique. That's I like- could be a coach. That is my method. <laughs> I annoy the shit out of people. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I annoy them. So The truth is I give my clients a lot of space to mess up and fail, right? That's the first part, uh, in particular, the coaching that we do for Handel Group, we really do stress accountability and we teach people a system of accountability that is a combination of making a promise, something you say you're going to go do, whether it's physical and tangible, or just how you're going to show up in the world and actually marrying that with a consequence, something that you're going to do if you don't do this promise right so the consequence is exactly how human beings learn right Sticking carrot mm-hmm. we really do know that if you get in trouble for something you're more likely to do the thing that you don't feel like doing so we will make people go hey your consequences you give your husband ten dollars every time you yell at him and go tell him to give you know, you're gonna do this and then not rich. only do I hold you accountable but your husband's like where's my 10 bucks because you yelled at me We do set up that structure with people. So there is more accountability. The other thing that I have my clients do, especially when they're working on something really, really hard, is I have them create posses, is what I call them, where they'll send an update of all the things that they're doing or all the promises that they have, another way of saying it, to this group of people that's going to cheer them on and support them. And I get CC'd on this email or BCC, depending how the client feels comfortable, so I can see who's cheering them on. So now I got like 15 people in their world, supporting them. Okay. So these like are like the two. It takes a village. It takes a village for sure. These, the, these two techniques tend to be really powerful. And the last part is that sometimes clients need daily accountability. So I'm like, great. So you're going to text me every day when you leave work, or you're going to text me every night, you know, the picture of your treadmill to let me know that you did this workout. Like I can really go there with people when they're fighting tooth and nail and it becomes a game. Right, it become it becomes a game, and sometimes they want to run away from me. But ultimately, what they feel is supported and cared for, and then they just do the thing they said they were going to go do.
0: Chris, where do where do most people fail? Where do most people fail and, and fall off in your world? And and we're not. I, I want to exclude the 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 cost standpoint because good coaching costs good money. Anybody who's committed to it, they've they've already like made that financial commitment. But where yeah. do they fall off as far as being committed to doing the work? Where do you see people ghosting and? you know, terminating the process, where does that happen? And what stage?
1: It's different for everybody. You know, the biggest issue is getting people to understand that discipline is never sexy, but it's always successful. (laughs) So I tell clients, so it's, it's not fun to have discipline. It's really inconvenient actually. And Mm -hmm. annoying, and most people will encounter some outside circumstance, whatever it might be, whether it's like your kid is sick, or you have to work from home, or some. But put, putting okay. aside,
0: putting aside these external things, inter- internally, why are people giving up on this? Well, th- those are excuses.
1: They're just excuses, but that's what that's what all these things are, right? Okay. They're all excuses, and whether it's internal obstacles or external obstacles, they really stem from the same place. You're looking for a justification, a reason why you can't do what you said you were going to go do, right? Like that's, and discipline ultimately is what's going to get you to the other side. What we teach in coaching is that you do have inner dialogue. So there's a way that you talk Mm -hmm. to yourself, a way that you like justify your behavior or even relate to your circumstances. And we boil this inner dialogue down to two main voices. So your chicken and your brat, okay? Your chicken being the voice of fear, so we all, mm-hmm. most of us are really familiar with fight, flight, or freeze. So we just name it chicken to make you laugh about it. I like all it,
0: okay, ways. we'll go with that.
1: Yeah, chicken, right? So all the different ways that you avoid, all the different ways that you're afraid to fail, mess up, get in trouble, all the ways that you shut down, You know, all the things that we do as humans when we get scared or triggered in some of way. Of course. And then brat, which is the voice of resistance, where you don't want to, where you don't feel like it, where you're not in the mood, where you're like, That's why true. do I have to do this? And so these are the two internal voices that get in our way all the time. And every time you're listening to your chicken or your brat, what I teach my clients is you're only surviving in this area. The areas where you are thriving and you get the results that you want and you're super happy and you're kicking ass, you're not listening to your chicken and your brat. You know how to shut those voices down and you hear them for what they're worth, right? So if you have a great body, it's because even when you're tired, even when it's raining, you go running. You get up and you go. And even when it's do you eat. Sorry?
0: Yeah, because you want it. You also, you exactly. want it. You're disciplined. Mm-hmm.
1: You're just, it's easier it, to do exactly. the things
0: that you want versus the things no one wants to do the shit they don't want to do.
1: Well, the thing is, it's interesting is we want a lot of things, but we're not willing to work hard for them. Oh, the, yeah. and the brat really do convince us that like, we're too tired. And the brat, right? We don't want to. We're too tired. you are not motivated. It's not the right time. Like, they really do convince us otherwise. So what we teach our clients, and specifically when it comes to executive coaching, there's a lot of things at stake right? With people who are going after starting their own business or leaving a big high profile job, like more things are at stake. So actually the more successful you become, the, lar- the larger your chicken and brat can be because there's more things you can lose, more things that are more uncomfortable to take on. So ultimately it's really getting that the way that we're programmed as human beings, this innate part of our mind that a lot of times we relate to as logic is actually a very kind of early programming, right? Like our crocodile, our reptilian brain, it's an early programming that keeps us just stuck in just surviving, just getting by. So anytime someone says, I just get by in this area, it just is what it is. I've never been able to get to this point or not, or to the other side of this. I'm just like, great, all you're dealing with is your chicken and your brat. And the minute you can understand that and be able to talk back to the chicken and the brat, be able to go, oh, yes, I'm my chicken's. That's how my brat sounds. My brat sounds like, you know what? I'm too tired to work out. I had a long day. That's what my brat sounds like, right? My chicken, and this is for real for me, my chicken sounds like, you know what? It's probably not the best time to have the conversation with them because fill in the blank. Every time I want to avoid a conversation, I say Mm -hmm. that, right? So the minute you can get that, you can go, oh, this is why I'm always surviving here. I'm just getting by because I'm not doing anything else but listening to the survival part of my brain
0: that that's fantastic and i want to i want to shift gears for a little bit and you really you really are still doing a lot of marketing with the Handel group and i want to talk a little bit about the idea of uh inner.u where did that idea come from and who should take advantage of those resources which idea uh inner (laughs) inner you
1: oh inner you yes inner you so inner you i forgot about that yeah (laughs) well i didn't i'm sorry to hear you said inner you so let me just this is a great thing that you brought up i'm happy you did so you've mentioned it a couple times You said for your own self that coaching is an investment that you made, right? And it really is. Good coaches do cost a good amount of money. It's true because you you pay for
0: what you get, right? Like if if you, yeah, exactly. You pay for what you get in life.
1: Yeah. So there's you know there's two sides to cost, right? There's actually the time investment and the money investment. Correct. Time is money. Yeah. One of the things we were running into with our some of our clients, and we were realizing was an issue is that a lot of people wanted to work with us, but there was a barrier to entry. Well, there was two, right? There was a the time investment and the money investment. And so we created Inner U to be a platform where a client can decide to go do a learner led program and not fully learner led, because I'll, I'll get into how we support clients in the program itself, but they can elect to do this program learner led on their own timeline, whenever they have the time to do so, they don't have to be available for a coach call at like three o'clock in the afternoon at a really discounted rate so the program takes somebody through what an executive coaching series because we have this program that we call inner you career that's the executive coaching program or a life coaching series would look like which is inner you life will take you through exactly what you would get with the coach
0: so they're mo- their modules modules
1: yep modules that take Online. you through everything that you would learn with the coach all homework assignments all principles you even get to hear coach examples. So it's like you're really sitting on a call with the coach and they're teaching you, hi, this is how you leverage this principle. Super That's great. Profound. So it's making it
0: accessible for people who have some kind of barrier to entry. Yeah. And they're getting into it. I mean, listen, from a business perspective, it's great. Because if they get into it, it's kind of like a starter course. They like it. And then when the time and, and financial means are right, they could upgrade to the, to the one-on-one coaching.
1: Exactly. Yes. And part of it is for most people is that even if you've done some coaching in the past, you always need a little bit of a touch-up. Like even I do, too. Right. I've been coaching for a long time. So I still go to some of my colleagues and I like, can you coach me? Like, what am I not seeing? Because you can't always right.
0: see something
1: and, on your own. So sometimes just re listening to something or hearing another example helps you really figure out where you're getting stuck in your own world. So the, it, go ahead.
0: I'm, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it's a it's a great entry to the program, but you, you hit on something. So constant self-improvement. How often are you being evaluated by other members on your team as far as your coaching effectiveness? It's kind of like when teachers have other teachers sit in on their lesson plans and doing that. Like, how do you keep sharp with your own craft? And how do you stay? How do you ensure that you're delivering your best?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, we're kind of always assessed group. it never ends. It never ends. So the thing about working for a coaching company is that you're around, you're around other coaches all the time. So you're always getting privy to someone else's style, someone techniques. else's design, right? someone else's t- techniques, and because of the way Handel Group is set up, we are constantly interacting on group calls where we get to see people in their limelight, right? Like we really get to learn from each other. So it's it's actually quite beautiful. There are, like there that. are colleagues that I learn from all the time. I have a colleague OC who. Every time I talk to her, she blows me away, and I'm like, "Say that again. I'm going to write it down." Or I'm using. Are we, are that we
0: recording like- this? Are we recording this, please? <laughs> exactly. yeah. I need to go back and, re- and rewind on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. So th- that's what makes it great about working in a company where there's other coaches. And um, you're really working as a team together. And also, we, when we work on big projects, we work with colleagues. We, we're not usually only one person on a big project because the truth is, you do need somebody else's perspective to help you navigate a big corporate structure. But also, it's nice to have that varying perspective for people to pick from. Who I, was to pick to I was about to say,
0: I was about to say, how often do you, I mean, does it happen where like you, you have an initial candidate, uh, client, and you're like, you know what? I think. OC might be better for you from a personality point. Does it happen a lot?
1: Yes, for sure. There are right? plenty and that, of-
0: and yeah. that shows a that as a client, as a client, that shows a lot that you're like, Hey, listen, I may not be the best for you, but I know who
1: is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's also great about being in a company where you have a, a pool of coaches to pick from. You can really get matched up with the right person based on personality or experience or any other preference that might come up. <sighs>
0: You also speak about, and you're an advocate for women's empowerment as an executive coach yourself. What do you feel is the most effective way to empower women in, in whatever industry that they're in?
1: Good question. You're hitting with the good questions. Uh, the first... What I
0: do. I mean, this is my strong suit. I mean, this is what I, I've been told I'm, I'm good at. So I got to stick with it, Krista.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, you are very good at it. So the first thing I will say is like, get them coaching or get them mentorships or your mentor mentors. One of the things that is Changing drastically currently, but has not always been this way, is that 90% of my clients are men. And traditionally, it's because women didn't get a lot of access to some of these additional benefits in companies, and that has drastically changed in the last couple years. But one of the best ways to help women on your team is to get them coaching or get them a mentor, and specifically mentors who look like them or coaches who look like them. It's really important representation does matter right? So think about there's a lot of male coaches that coach a lot of men. There aren't a lot of women that coach a lot of women, right? It's actually Mm. not very common. Um, So you really want to make sure you're supporting people by giving them the access to a resource that can help develop them from all different levels.
0: I love it. That's, that's fantastic. And I want to talk a little bit about leadership. I mean, you work with some heavy hitters, you definitely work with some heavy hitters and up and comers as well. What are a couple of those real strong characteristics and traits you see that are real universal in being great leaders?
1: Um, so, universal traits. The first one is ability to see themselves. When I get mm. a leader who's like, you know what, I know that I suck at this. <laughs> like, I know that self-awareness. I'm not good at that. Exactly.
0: Vulnerability, being humble, and self awareness.
1: They're kind of like the ones that repeat themselves, right? <laughs> they really are. Pattern here. Yeah, you know, that's what we all need. These are, by the way, really hard traits for and qualities for people to live by. But whenever I see a leader who comes very quickly and very powerfully to say, you know what, this is where I suck. This is, let me own this part of myself. I'm not a great listener, or I'm not great at this particular function, or I know I rub people the wrong way and I want to work on it. That Those are leaders that are successful because they're constantly, you said it earlier, working to improve themselves and they really are able to hear feedback from their people when i get a leader who's like i'm great i'm good at leading people i feel good about what i do and they're not able to see any opportunities that's where i'm just like ah you might have some (laughs) there might be some blind spots so the ones that come with that humility first and foremost is are usually people who are great leaders and i don't want to i don't want to um not underscore humility for a minute because uh humility is really really infectious and leaders who have humility and are able to go sit in front of a room and say i messed up i messed up accountability i made the call i did this and this is on me and not sit there and blame other people or point the finger or say i didn't know no one told me whatever the the logic may be or whatever the explanation will right. be but those who can sit in front of a room and really be responsible they have loyalty like you would never believe from their teams. And as we're coming out of this pandemic and we're going into a world where there's like people are hiring like crazy and there's about to be a crazy war on talent, being a humble leader will always retain your people because they mm-hmm. you, and you inspire them and they're inspired mm-hmm. by you and they want to mimic you.
0: That, that's what it's all about. A, b- a big theme that I'm getting from our conversation over the last 45 minutes from you is, is this you're authentic, you're real. What What is that word authentic, authenticity? What What does that mean when someone says this? it's not just a buzzword? It's I mean, it's. it's what you it's what you are. But when I say it to you, what does that make you feel?
1: So I have a little catchphrase that I use. So and the catchphrase is authenticity breeds confidence. And I use this catchphrase because Anytime we're not being truly ourselves in whatever way, this doesn't take away the fact that there's politics and there's relationships Mm -hmm. and there's hierarchy and all that's always going to be true, right? But there's a way in which you don't divorce yourself, even in those settings. Every time you're authentic to yourself, you become more confident. Why people lack confidence is because they are trying to manage being somebody else and they're trying to fit in and mold and blend, and that never works. Right. And in fact, if I re- bring it back to my marketing days, right, early back in the day, the thing that we would always think about with brands is what is your point of difference? Like, why does somebody buy Calvin Klein jeans versus guest jeans or whatever brand? Right. Seven, you know, seven for all mankind. Like, why do you buy them? You buy them. There's a point of difference. Ultimately, they're just jeans. The same cut, right. usually from the same factory. Don't tell anybody I told you, but usually just a different label but you buy those brands for a particular reason. You affiliate with the brand for some reason. There's a difference in this brand versus that brand. And so that is also what you need to cultivate for yourself and being comfortable to cultivate your own point of difference in whatever sector or industry you're in or your company or your team and feel good about that is really powerful. So when I hear the word authenticity, I hear that it breeds confidence, but it's really all about being clear about what makes you different and really standing in that versus like trying to hide it.
0: I love it, well said there. And Chris, what, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life?
1: So I once worked at an insurance company, and this is funny for people who know me because God helped me that I worked at an insurance company. It's not a good fit. I had a boss. He was the most successful um, boss that I ever worked for until this day. He was super wealthy. He had a big book of business. People loved him. And he was retiring and there was a bunch of other agents who were clamoring to get access to his book. Yeah, to his they, book, his business, book. Right? they want his book. They wanted his book. And one day he was leaving and I was just like a receptionist, um, about a, again a really bad job for me. I'm not very operational. So it didn't do so good. But he was leaving and he asked me if I can like go buy a birthday card or something. And I was like, okay, great. And as he's walking out, he goes, hey, do you know why everybody wants my book of business or why I'm so successful? And I was like, I don't know. It's like 18, 19 years old. And he's just like, because I play golf. And I was like, what? what is this old man telling me? Like, what is he talking about? What ultimately he was saying that stuck with me, which is why I'm telling you the story today, is that he really took the time to care about his clients, like deeply care about them, not bullshit care, but deeply care, like birthdays going to weddings, like sitting for extra time, he cared about people and he really did teach that to me. And so the idea that like authentically caring about people and taking time to know your staff, to know your client and really deeply be there with them and not have it be transactional is the best lesson I've ever, I ever got. Cause I, I've never, since, since working with him I've ever operated differently and it's paid dividends for sure.
0: I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I built. I built my career on 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 that about real relationships and and what that means to be there. Um, the pandemic has been has been really interesting in in so many different ways, and not just the the obvious bad stuff. But we talk a lot about the silver linings. I'd love if you could share. And and thankfully, we're on our way out of this. Is light the end of the tunnel? But I would love if you could share, Krista, a personal silver lining and a professional silver lining that you've experienced over the last, uh, geez, eighteen months. Yep.
1: I can't believe it's been so long. Almost well, done. I didn't murder my husband. <laughs> I'm alive
0: too. I am alive too. Thank God. And we're the lucky ones. Our murderous wives didn't. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> we got close at one point. No.
0: Multiple uh, so times.
1: The silver lining for myself during the, during the pandemic was actually I realized something about myself that I didn't know. And I realized that when things are really hard and challenging, I become super resourceful. And figure out ways to infuse fun, which I didn't notice about myself because I would tell you normally I'm a workaholic. I don't really like fun. Like, what do you mean? Watch TV or you know, go on a vacation? Like, you should work, right? This is my mentality. But in the pandemic, I really did go stand for. We're going to try to make the best of this, and I'm going to get resourceful for how to do that. Whether it's like having a picnic on my kitchen floor, or you know, doing what we used to call dinners in the car. We would go to. We, I live in Manhattan, so we'd go take get takeout and sit like in the car by Central Park eating dinner. Like,
0: all right. Okay. We
1: tried to make it fun. So that, that's what that's what I would say silver lining for me was. For work and specifically as it pertains to coaching during the pandemic, we also had this crazy attention and all these social issues, right? So we had the death of George Floyd. We had, you know, all, like the Me Too movement continued to get focused. Black Lives Matter movement continued continue to get focused and what it actually created for companies was a a change in how they care about culture and then on top of that by the way we all had to work from home so now it's like a whole new world so companies have always cared about culture it's something that's on their radar they have to deal with it but it's not like the top of mind thing now people deeply understand how important having a good culture is an inclusive culture and how it actually impacts their bottom line And companies have changed their tune. And that's a massive shift and a great thing to see in my business, but also for the world. Like companies really do cause impact in our day-to-day society. So this shift, I believe, is going to cause a lot of great things to come in the next few years because people are investing in the right types of resources for their employees.
0: Krista, what's next for you? I mean, you plan on staying in executive coaching, you know, forever? Is this your forever job?
1: You know, I think it is my forever job. I really am naturally a coach. You know, I was like the little kid who listened to like adult problems and try to solve them. (laughs) I've always been this way. Uh, But currently for Handel Group, I'm also doing other things in the company. So I'm running a lot lot of the day-to-day operations. I'm helping HG as a company grow in scale. So I'm using sort of like that other side of my mind again. And that's really exciting. Awesome. Yeah,
0: that's great. And, and last but not least, you know, you look back on your on your life and your career and you think about those times when maybe things didn't come so easy to you and you really had to dig down deep and harness that fire and harness that inner tenacity and find your compass and find your way forward. And on the flip side of that, when you sit here today and you're just grateful and you want to show gratitude for your success and your career and your life and your family and you have that focus. Chris is in just what is your compass? What is your North Star in life?
1: Ooh, North Star godness. Okay. um, For me, it's always been making an impact. This is how, how I like to frame it. Um, I'm definitely somebody, it's even like my love language. Like I don't really care about gifts. I care about like qu- like um, acts of service, like people like contributing to me really matters. So I'm always trying to figure out how I can contribute to other people. So my compass is always, how am I gonna contribute in the most- profound way or in the deepest way or in the best way, whether it's to my client right now or to like a direct report or to a friend.
0: I love it. That's fantastic. Krista, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more?
1: Oh, awesome. Yes. Okay. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Chris's interest voice. You can also find me on Instagram. That's where I post a lot of the things that are happening in terms of speaking engagements and other podcasts and things like this. It's at Krista the voice on Instagram, please actually follow there because we post a lot of HG's happenings and we offer a ton of free programming and content. Like you don't have to pay for it. It's literally community style. Uh, and so if you're wanting to get like support in your life at any level, definitely follow me and or Handel group on Instagram. It, there's tons of opportunities to do things for free with us. And then also you did mention inner you earlier. And if you're somebody who's been like kind of circling whether or not you should do coaching. I really do recommend Interview. It definitely will give you everything you need. And if you want to do more, you can, or you can just do Interview. Like it really is something you can use as your own um, platform. So I recommend that. And you can also find out about Interview on um, Handel, Group's, Handel Group's Instagram page. And then the last thing that I would say is if you're curious about what would coaching tell you, we have what we call the current reality quiz. This is a hmm. quiz that basically helps assess where you are in your life like it's gonna give you a rating like you rate a four which is pretty low don't be a four but sometimes it'll give you perspective that like that initial intake that i talked about that we do with clients the quiz allows you to do on your own so the current reality quiz is a good place to start so i'm gonna
0: do that for fun
1: Yeah, I think we're providing the links at the end of this. So go check. Yes,
0: everybody. The links will be on the live stream. The links will be in the in the uh, in the podcast notes for everybody checking out the audio version of it. Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Hang on with me for a moment here as we sign off and everyone listening at home. If you found value in this show, please pay it forward. Please leave a review, rating, share with your friends. It goes a long way. You know where you can find more at thepodcast.com. You can follow us on all the social media handles. You know what they are. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The PauseCast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.